Hello everyone, and welcome to Living Life Aloud. I'm your host, Jason Wigand. Today we have Dr. Megan Thomas. She's an audiologist, an educational audiologist, here in the Richland County School District in Columbia, South Carolina. Previously, she served as a researcher and staff audiologist at Boystown in Omaha, Nebraska, specializing in audiological and vestibular function. She has her own personal journey with hearing loss, which you're going to hear all about. So folks, I now bring you Dr. Megan Thomas. So, uh, Megan, why don't you uh, start there? Tell us about your journey and uh, when did when did your hearing loss set in and basically how did it bring you into this field? Well, I'm not really sure when I started developing hearing loss. Um, I kind of found out it by accident. I had decided to go back to grad school initially for speech pathology and one of my professors was running a study um, Dr. Tiffany Johnson, she does a lot of work with OAEs or autoacoustic emissions for those who don't know what that means. Um, but she was running a study and she was offering extra credit in our course if we participated. So I went to participate and part of the study was to test he- the he- your hearing prior to because they want to make sure you had normal hearing prior to um, being a subject. Anyway, that's how I found out I had hearing loss. And it initially was just real mild in my left ear. Um, and then over the course of about seven to 10 years, it slowly declined. Um, and then it also, I also then started developing hearing loss in my right ear as well. Um, so I kind of found out by accident. I don't know exactly what caused it or why it continued to progress, but it wasn't until I guess my mid twenties that I was diagnosed. Okay, so, so you were already in graduate work in the field, speech pathology, and surprise. Well, it was actually undergrad. It was undergrad work. Gotcha. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, I, my undergraduate degree is actually in theater performance. And after numerous years of waiting tables, I decided to go back to school. Oh, well. Um, so I had to do a year of prerequisite coursework. Yeah. And it was in, a, it was, um, but I was, planning on going to speech pathology, but I was doing all the undergrad coursework in one year to apply for grad school. So that's how I found out. And then when I found I had hearing loss, I became a lot more interested in hearing. And I also realized I didn't like the speech courses quite as much as I thought I would. Um, so once they started setting out the, the letters for acceptance into speech, for the speech program, I asked if I could switch to audiology and was accepted to the audiology program. Okay. Okay. And then, so you finished up your uh, graduate work in audiology and then where did you go next? Well, as you know, in the last year of the audiology program, you have to do an externship year. So I had applied and um, got accepted at Boystown National Research Hospital for my externship year. Um, And I enjoyed it there. And I guess they liked me enough. So about halfway through my externship year, I was offered a job there, um, which I also readily accepted and um, spent some time working there after grad school. So what sorts of things did you do there? What, to, as far as research audiologist, this is not, is it patient facing or what, what, what kind of role did you have there? Yeah, it's, um, 
it's a hospital clinic. It's an ENT clinic. Oh. And so I worked at the downtown hospital, um, which is kind of the main base for like the research and like the, it's the bigger hospital, but that has more of the services in it. Um, they've since like made some other locations too, but it's kind of, I think where everything started for Boys Town in Omaha. Um, and I initially, when I was hired on, I did a little bit of everything except for CIs. Did not do CIs. You know, cochlear implants, um, yeah. <laughs> they kept everyone very separate. So there's like the cochlear implant audiologist, like over in the lead center. And then the boy, the audiologist for like hearing aids and everything else were on the opposite side um, right. in a different building. So I did, you know, birth to geriatric. Um, I did ABRs. Um, I did sedated ABRs. I did, um, you know, just your hearing test through ENT clinic, um, hearing tests for people who just, you know, came in with their own referral. I did vestibular testing. Um, yeah, I did a, a little bit of everything Yeah, sounds like um, it. when I was there, except for, like I said, cochlear implants. And then, um, after being there for a little bit of time, Dr. Kristen Janke, who runs a vestibular lab there, was looking for an assistant. And so she knew I was very interested in vestibular um, research and vestibular, you know, diagnostics. So she asked me if I wanted to participate in her lab. And so then I kind of started splitting my schedule between working in her lab on research and then also um, back in the clinic. I got you. Okay. And so... Um, so you're there for how many years? Let's see here. Um, I graduated in 2012 and I was there until 2017. So it's five years as a full-time employee. And then plus my extra year total of six years, gotcha. a little over six years. And so what brought you, what brought you down here? Um, my family my my all my family they were living in kansas city they got up and moved to augusta georgia really so, okay yeah they all just left <laughs> they left me and moved to augusta georgia and then i had um in 2016 i had my daughter and we were my husband and i and we were all we were by ourselves in omaha yeah. and so we decided that we wanted to move closer to family and um, at the time, because I was just working so much at Boys Town, I really, I felt like I was missing a lot of my daughter's life. Sure. So I wanted um, a job where I would have a little bit more flexibility, have a little more time to spend with, with my family. Yeah. Uh, my parents were getting older, so I wanted to spend more time with them. Okay. And my okay. sister and her family, so. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And so now you're with the school district. So that's, I mean, it's a shift from patient facing and, and of course the research piece, but I mean, as far as the diagnostics in the hospital setting and now you're a educational audiologist. Yeah. So yeah, that was a very different, that was very hard yeah. um, transition at first, I think. So what's your day? Look a different way of so. Right. No, 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 you're okay. So what's, um, and, and I guess that's the thing. So two things we, you know, definitely want to focus on a little bit is, educational audiology and the importance of it, if you will. And then of course, you know, more so about your um, personal journey and just your experience with your own hearing loss, you know? So with the educational audiology piece, uh, what's basically how about that? Cause a lot of listeners have no idea what that is, what that means. Okay. 
So let's see if I can describe it. Um, let's see if I know what it means. So an educational audiologist, like what I do is I work with students in the school system who are deaf and hard of hearing. So I also work closely with community audiologists, which is how I met you. Um, but I work with their equipment, with um, with teachers, uh, with their their team leads, like students who are on, um, who then end up uh, qualifying for an individual educa- educational pro- education program, individualized education program, sure. I can say that, or 504 um, plan, which either allows services and accommodations for kiddos or just accommodations for kiddos. But I work with a lot of these students who have hearing loss and that need maybe a little extra help um, or assistance in the classroom. So I'll do, you know, hearing tests for these students or functional listening evaluations to see how they're performing in a classroom, like how distance affects their hearing, noise, um, you know, not maybe not having access to visual supports when someone's speaking to help, you know, come up with the best listening situation for these students that that already have um, hearing loss. So that's kind of what I do. I also do a lot of tech support. Yeah. So I'll fit um, hearing assistive technology um, and then I help kind of troubleshoot, um, consult, like count, counsel on how to use it appropriately. I do a lot of counseling too on, oh, they can hear just fine in the classroom. They're just ignoring us. And I have to say, no, they're really not ignoring you. Um, they really don't. And so that's where the functional evaluation is really helpful because I can show with numbers and data, like really how the student is functioning. Um in that environment so they can kind of extrapolate that to the classroom. Right. And so that's kind of what I do. And when, again, these are kids that are fit with hearing aids. And so it just doesn't stop there. They go to school and they actually Mm -hmm. have someone like yourself who can support them, who can talk to the teachers, who can talk to the administrators and say, hey, you know, maybe this classroom ain't the best. We got a little too much noise here or they, you know, not just need to sit up closer. You know, they need some additional visual aids and things like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is, does every school, is this something that, all kids have access to or all kids have in their schools? No, unfortunately not. There's a lot of districts that, that don't have an audiologist in the district. Okay. Some of them end up contracting out with an, with an audiologist. And a lot of districts, unfortunately, um, ask their teachers of the deaf or other special education providers to kind of fill that role, which is really unfair for everyone. It's unfair for the person who's being asked to do it because they're not trained and how to do it. And it's not fair to the students because they're not giving the, getting the services that they really need. Can uh, parents, so not, unfortunately, not every district has that. Right. Can parents request that? Is there, you know, just like if you want to go on some kind of breakfast program, lunch program, and can they talk to their administrator, the principal, the teacher, send an email? Hey, you know, my kid's got hearing loss. I mean, I'm sure it's documented. So it's something. Yeah. I would, I mean, I would think if enough parents, you know, pushed back on it, some school, other districts would probably start Hmm. hiring an audiologist, um, especially since, like, it's really not in the scope of a practice of a a teacher for the deaf or, like, any other professional to fit this equipment. So I really think the districts are doing a disservice to themselves and to their students who do that. That's my opinion and probably a lot of other audiologists' opinion, too, but... Um, I, I can imagine that if enough parents got together and emailed their districts that they weren't providing that service, that 
they'd probably get some pressure to do it. You know, currently also with the state of affairs, if you will, as we uh, battle the coronavirus and the pandemic, what, what sorts of unique or new, not even unique, new challenges and stuff have you run into as, well, for one thing, many schools, I'm not sure if yours um, or those in your district are, but they're on distance learning, right? They are Mm -hmm. online at home. So how is that? Or again, we're all learning, you know, there's new stuff for all of us that have to deal with. So I'm sure you have to deal with a lot too. How has that affected uh, your ability to take care of these kids? Oh, um, lots of ways. I mean, it's, it's, especially if they're having tech issues, like I, I used to just be able to run into the school and take care of it. Now it's a lot of effort to try to get a parent to bring a kid to the school, um, to do any sort of like equipment troubleshooting. Um, so that makes that more difficult. You've got other just issues in general for, for kiddos in general, not just even kiddos with hearing loss. You can put masks in the mix. Um, you've got, all of these like electronic signals coming through, which are not the same as a natural voice. They're not, they're just not the same quality. And these kids are trying to listen through that. Um, especially some of our kiddos with their, our hard of hearing. Luckily this year, last year, we weren't able to send home the equipment, the um, hearing assistive uh, technology for the students just because of how quickly everything happened. Right. But this year, at least we were able to provide that for most of the students. So at least that they've been able to to stream, um, you know, the signal from the computer from their up to their devices, their cochlear implants or hearing aids. So we've been able to get that to them. So it's been been helpful. But again, there's always there's tech issues. And then now we're in a hybrid model. And actually, all of our kids are most of the kids are coming back five days a week. I think starting next week, I think high school comes back five days a week. But we still have kids who are virtual. So there's um, still kids being taught virtually. So are like kind of in a hybrid model. So the teacher is teaching through the computer and in the classroom at the same time. So now these kids that are getting virtual are also having to deal with maybe their teacher or their classmates wearing a mask. So you're losing all of those visual speech cues, which is really tough. And there's, um, I don't know how much you've looked at the research as far as masks versus shields and the frequency response on them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But surgical masks are actually fairly transparent. Right. I mean, they, they, they cut down about, I think about five dB, but overall the frequency response looks fairly similar, but then people will wear that and a mat and a shield and the shield is just, I mean, it's knocking down about 20 decibels and especially in the higher frequencies, like it's knocking down a lot of pitches and it's kind of distorting the signal. Plus you're getting sound bounce back from the shield. So people right. think their voice is louder than it is. So you're just getting this awful acoustic signal, this awful speech signal, and then you're losing the visual speech cues. It's just kind of a train wreck. And so people ask me what I would recommend on the, on those between like the shield and the mask. And it really depends like kid to kid. Like if a kid's really a visual, visual kid, I mean, it's just, there's just so many things right now. Um, Sure. And then all the distancing and plexiglass being put up and yeah, I've, um, I I guess one nice thing is that the classrooms are quieter now than they used to be, but that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I, yeah, as far as the different media, meaning different, you know, through the plexiglass, the distance, um, 
the attenuation through, you know, of course, the mass and like you said, the frequency, uh, frequency response. I mean, I, I've had the same issue myself, you know, and I thought, hey, I do so well, you know, with my cochlear implants. And just this morning, my wife and I were eggs up grill and uh, to get something to eat. And I felt like I had taken a step back 20 years. Mm-hmm. 25 years, I couldn't, I was a ball of anxiety. I couldn't understand what the server was asking. You know, she's got the mask on, rightfully so, and that sort of thing. And it's actually, <laughs> it's kind of monumentous. It's the first time we've been out to eat in like over a year, you know? Um, so, you know, you don't really consider, I didn't really think about, wow, you know? And it was quiet, much quieter in there because there's not many people, so... So transition a bit there. How are you? How has, you know, talk to me about some of the challenges, at least during this pandemic here that you've had that maybe were a little unexpected. And again, that you can realize yourself as having a loss. So, you know, the kiddos and the situations that you're um, dealing with there and, and, and serving that you can, you know, use your own personal insight to. So what, what sorts of things have you run into personally? Like with my hearing loss? Yeah. Um, well, so I, I have a 10-month-old son who's a pandemic baby. He was born in May last year in the middle of the pandemic. And I remember going to some of my doctor's appointments towards the end when people were wearing, like the nurses and everyone wearing masks. And I'm just trying to get my medical care or schedule medical appointments. And it was really a struggle to hear there'd be times where like someone would literally just take a step or two back from me and pull down their mask and try to talk to me because I couldn't understand what they were saying otherwise. And they were just repeating it over and over again. Um, So that's been really a big struggle. Um, I also know that just people in my general life, I found this out later, like they'll say, they'll say things to me and I'll have no idea someone's talking to me. Um, and so they think I'm being rude or I don't know, like just ignoring them. And it makes it harder now too, when people are wearing masks, because I don't even get the visual of lips moving because everything's covered. Right. So I'm always, I'm always nervous that I'm not going to respond to someone and like, they're going to be angry with me. Oh yeah. Which is probably not something I need to worry about a whole lot, but I'm always afraid of like offending someone because I'm not responding because they don't expect that I have hearing loss. Um, and I'm not going to lie after having, having a four year old and a 10 month old home. I am not a hundred percent about wearing my hearing aids lately because <laughs> it gets very loud in my house and I, I cannot tolerate it. Um, so sometimes I forget to wear them when I go out and I'm afraid. I'm always afraid that I'm going to miss something right, and right. I'm going to miss something important. Well, and, and with that, is that, um, so how, as far as talking with teachers, educators, the administrators, people mm-hmm. in the school, you know, I mean, has, have those conversations taking place like, okay, look guys, we all got masks on. We got shields. We've got plexiglass. So there's a hearing loss in these kids. You know, they're they're there and in, and in, in whether they're in person or they're virtual, you know, we have these basically oh 
gosh, how do, how do you want to say it? That, that it's increased, maybe not increased mm-hmm. their hearing loss per se, but this is increased the effects of the communication challenges, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, are they aware of that? Is that something that, and again, like yourself, someone who can go ahead and advocate, right, for these kids and for this, 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 these different challenges. How's that going? Yeah, no, I definitely try to to let as many people know about it as possible. And luckily, I work with um, some really awesome deaf and hard of hearing teachers who are also really good about letting like some of the, the other teachers know that I can't get to or don't get to as frequently. Um, we also in our district have the self-contained deaf education classrooms. So a lot of our deaf deaf students or hard of hearing students are already with a student or a, a teacher who's deaf and hard of hearing. Um, okay. So it works out really, really nicely. I, there's a lot of really, really good support in our district, thankfully. But um, I think it's actually like wearing the masks and everything has been actually eye-opening for a lot of people who don't have hearing loss or maybe don't have diagnosed hearing loss. Because let's be honest, a lot of people just don't have diagnosed hearing loss. Sure. But a lot of people are struggling with the masks. And a lot of people are struggling hearing with different face shields. Um, I go see a chiropractor and they went through several different types of masks and and shields before they finally found something that would kind of work with their patients because they would see some elderly patients and they the, the patients would have no idea right. what they were saying to them. And so they kept having to try to figure out, like try different things um, so that they could communicate with, with their patients. So I, I feel like people are actually maybe opening their eyes a little bit more to the, maybe not to hearing loss, but maybe poor communication right? Um, or people who are, you know, having difficulty hearing with that. Like it seems to be more across the board now versus only people who are, you know, deaf and hard of hearing saying, huh, what? Right. Because they're understanding a lot of people, a lot of people are having, having problems with the masks and shields in place when it comes to communication. I think. So do you think that's going to stay? Kind of like how people say, after COVID, there's a few things that I wish would remain in place. Stay six feet away from me. <laughs> you know, uh, get my food delivered to my front door. I don't have to shop anymore. I get everything now sent to me via Amazon. And <laughs> let's all try to communicate better, you know, or let's, let's all try to be conscious of hearing challenges. You know, I mean... Anyway, so but, but do you feel that something that hopefully we can hang on to that might kind of stick? I think everyone I I don't think so entirely. Okay. okay. I just and only because I only say that because I mean it's my end of two. Um and me and my husband, like I have hearing loss. <laughs> my husband has auditory processing disorder and we both fall into bad communication um strategy traps. So yeah. I mean, and we both know better. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, you get into habits and things get, you try to do what's easy because you're busy, people are busy and it just happens. So it'd be nice if, if some of it stayed or at least um, once, you know, there was an acknowledgement that there was a communication breakdown that maybe it, the repair was easier than it's been in the past. Like perhaps people will be more kind when it comes to those repair strategies than before. But I have a feeling where if we get to a point where we can, you know, go back to some sort of normalcy that we'll forget a little bit. Yeah. Well, so in your role, what you do is advocating for 
individuals with hearing loss for the kids, making sure mm-hmm. they have the right support and resources and so forth. Do you, I guess, what do you see as something we could change? How could we improve that advocacy that, and by advocacy, I don't mean going up on the hill and talking to lobbyists and that sort of thing. I just mean self-advocate. How can we increase in your experience first here as a professional, um, you know, because that's what you do in the school system and that's what you do with parents and providers and, you know, maintain those lines of communication. But in the general population, what, in your opinion, do you think we could do to improve the perception of the need and importance for hearing healthcare? Oh, man. Um, I guess it stems from like the two biggest issues I'm, I see in the, well, there's the two biggest issues I see in the school system currently, which I'm going to kind of makes me think of like the general population, but first we're not doing universal screenings, hearing screenings in the school anymore. Um, those have fallen by the wayside. They're and, not. Well, is that just COVID mm-hmm. times or is that something that's gone away in the past few mm-hmm. years? No, that's, that's been gone away since before I started with the district. Like the, the nurses will, they'll do, they'll do hearing screenings for students who are struggling, I believe. And they do like a kindergarten screening, but to do, you know, I don't, I don't know if you remember this when you were a kid, like where they take like everyone in your class, like all the fifth graders had to do a hearing oh, yeah. screening or whatever. I had, it, was, it was kindergarten, third, seventh, and 11th. I remember having it in high school. That was like, those, those were the yeah. grades. Yeah. At least in South Carolina, that's not happening anymore. Um, in a lot of states, that's not happening anymore. And I think we're missing a lot of kids because of that. So I think there's a lot of kids that are struggling to hear and they're not being identified. And if they're being identified, they're being identified late. And because they're being identified late, we're getting a lot of resistance because who wants to be told when they're 13 or 14 that they have a hearing loss? Right. Um, and they don't know any better. So they're like, no, I hear just fine. Like everything's been the same. I do fine. Cause they have no reference point of normal hearing because they've had probably hearing loss for a long time or have had a long time to acclimate to this poor hearing. Plus they're at that really hard stage of like adolescence where they don't want to be different from their peers. And it kind of sets things up. Like when you have these later identified kiddos, it's harder to get them to have buy-in. Um, and then we still even run into that with kiddos who had hearing loss for a long time. Like I've got kiddos in, um, elementary school that not elementary school, high school that we're still struggling with buy-in. Um, and they're not wearing their hearing aids consistently. And I've had a couple of kiddos that have really turned the corner in the last couple of years and they are starting to wear their hearing aids. And I'm so, so proud of them, but there's still a few that we're still really working on that to really like kind of take, I don't know, take control, I guess, of their, their education and their right. hearing health. Right. And wear them. Um, so I'm not sure. I know glasses used to have a, I guess, a negative connotation, but now they're stylish and everything. And I know hearing aids can do some really amazing things now with some of the technology, the streaming. Um, and I always try to talk that up with some of my younger kids when I would fit them when I still worked in the clinic. But so a couple of things. I don't know. Gotta get, well, yeah. so first off, for an unidentified kid or, you know, somebody with hearing loss and again, can, 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 uh, can be applicable to adults too. But how can parents tell again, if they're not getting screened, the pediatricians just like, and again, this isn't 
a negative on any pediatricians, of course. But if it's not a point of discussion, right, that the parents says, you know, I don't think they're hearing as well. You know, I call them. They don't hear me. They say they can't understand that sort of thing. What are some things parents can do? What, 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 what kind of signs are there? What kind of signs? What kind of signs? Um, probably asking for repetition. Um, yeah, like you said, like tr- trouble getting their attention. Um, maybe if they're having diff- like special difficulty in like any sort of noisier environment. Granted, we all have difficulty in noisier environments, but if it, it feels like it's excessive, then it's not, it doesn't hurt to get a hearing screened. Yeah. Um, difficult in an academic setting. Um, if they have like a serious history of ear infections, it's always good to get the hearing check then too. If there's a family history of hearing loss, then you definitely want to be monitoring that. Um, a lot's been said about listening fatigue too, you know, yes. that, that, yeah. that, that your child or their, that student, they're coming home just tanked at 3.15 mm-hmm. or they're just behaviorally, they're just eh, a little irritable, a little ticked off, a little yeah. sleepy, just want to go and kind of put on their headphones and watch some YouTube videos. I mean, is there, is there value? Is there, is there validity in that? I think so. Definitely. I try to tell um, all the teachers at all the IEP meetings I go to, I, I, I talk to them about that. I talk to parents about that too at the meetings, um, especially like even beyond listening fatigue, just, you know, cognitive resources. Like if you've got a student who's got a hearing loss, they're working so hard to kind of fill in gaps doing like, you know, what they call top-down processing. So they're missing pieces of the speech. So they're using all this cognitive resources to fill in those gaps just to, to, you know, figure out what people are saying that doesn't leave or yeah, exactly. That that doesn't leave very many cognitive resources um, or energy to then make any, like understand it to take any of that and put it into memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're working so much harder than a typical hearing peer that like you said, they're going home and they're exhausted mm-hmm. and maybe they're not going to like school because it's just so much hard work for them because they're just working so hard to even hear and, they're having to work so much harder than their peers just to do maybe as well as them. If not, maybe they're not being able to able to do as well because they're having so much, so much difficulty. But I, I, um, I talk about that a lot in all my IEP meetings because I think that's super important and it makes, it breaks my heart that these kids that, that a lot of them are working so hard. And sometimes the teachers, not always, we've got, we got some really awesome, I don't want to throw teachers on the bus, but because we have some really awesome teachers in the yeah, district. Right. But because they're not familiar with hearing and these kids can be really good at faking that they know what's going on, right. that they, that the teachers think everything's just fine um, because the kid's just trying to go with the flow. So, and that breaks my heart for them that these kids just haven't learned those self-advocacy skills yet. And well, I guess I, I, yeah, and I'm sorry. No, no, you're right. And that's, I guess that's where, you know, the, 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 the parents or those around the kids, the adults, okay, they're still kids and not to take anything away from kids or little adults, you know, in so many ways, especially in the preteen teenage years, but, you know, looking for things where they are struggling and, and not just immediately just looking is the content is their classes get a little tougher. Yeah, sure. Maybe it's a little tougher. AP biology is tougher than regular biology but at the same time you know it's we all get tired listening right it's not just there's a reason why there's always coffee in the back of the room at conferences when they're at lectures and they got to give so many breaks you know this is 
hopefully there is some 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 research that went into the fact that you can only have people sitting, staring, and listening for so long before you have, you know, zero interest. Yeah. People are just zoning out. So, so yeah, that is that is something that um, that that even normal hearing folks uh, are victim to or can you know are affected by, and then put a hearing loss on top of that. Where you said there's so many, so much increase in cognitive resources that an individual has to dedicate just to understand, let alone use, you know, comp- mm-hmm. and not comprehend it, you know, put in a memory and things like that. Um, yeah, I went to a, a conference I and mean, this is several years ago now, back when I was still at Boys Town, I went to a conference and it was in these, I mean, I know like you can't necessarily pick like how the room acoustics when, when like these conferences are booking. Yeah. Hotels unfortunately. But the acoustics were terrible. Um, and I believe everyone was mic'd, but because of the acoustics, there was a lot of reverberation. And even with my hearing aids, like I remember sitting through one lecture and I have no idea. Like I pick out a word here or there, but I have no idea what's going on. And you get to a point where you're working so hard just to try to pick out words and figure out what's being said that you just give up. And I did like at that conference during that talk, I gave up. I was like, this is too hard. I'm not getting anything from it. And so that's what a lot of these students are probably doing in classes too, if they're not getting the assistance that they need, if they're struggling so much. And then, like you said before, you might see some behavioral issues because it's so hard for them that they just might give up. And if you have a student who's in the back of the room or sitting somewhere in the classroom and they're bored and they can't understand what's going on, what are they going to do? They're going to do something to entertain themselves, which might be disruptive to the rest of the class. But uh, it's something I've experienced too. So I, I get that listening effort and fatigue. It's hard. So tell me a little bit about your journey. Tell me a little bit about, you know, when you were identified and you had no idea that there was a hearing loss and then, you know, the succeeding few years and how it progressed. uh... Well, when I, when I found out initially, um, well, initially, I think I had I had it in both ears, but I had just gotten over a cold. So it was my hearing loss in my right ear was from the cold. So they told me to come back and like go a week or two to see if it improved. And my right ear did return to normal, but I still had a hearing loss in my left ear. So I was like, well, okay. And then it kind of like over the next couple of weeks, like everything kind of started to click for me because my family always, always accused me of not paying attention and not listening. Always, because they would say something and I would be like, what? Huh? And they would make fun of me all the time. Like, oh, Megan's not paying attention again. Like, oh, Megan, if you just listened for the first time, then you would have heard it. And it just clicked for me. I didn't hear it. Yeah. I'm paying attention. I just didn't hear it. Um, And I was doing top-down processing because usually they would say something and I would say, huh? And they'd be like, oh, never mind. So I'd fill in the gaps. And they'd be like, see, if you were just paying attention, you would have gotten it like faster. And it's like, I was paying attention. So that was one thing that really clicked for me. And then I became a really big advocate after that. And I, like, I would call my family members out. So they don't do that to me any longer. Um, <laughs> see, and they I was like, paying attention. All you guys are wrong. You know, you wow. mumble and I can't hear very well. Oh so, um, so that was, that was kind of an aha moment for me. Um, I was also taking these, those classes at school. And I remember one of my friends or this other lady I was 
you know, I was in a lot of classes with, she would constantly talk to me. She was sitting on my left side. And every time she started talking to me, I turned my head to the right. Or I turned my head over and put my right ear towards her. Wow. And I had I I never realized that was why. Like it didn't occur to me that it was because I didn't hear well out of my left ear, but I was constantly turning my right ear over to her. So wow. without even knowing I had a hearing loss, I had already found ways to adapt. So I thought, I don't know. It's like a lot of that like just kind of started to click to me, click with me. And I was like, this still makes total sense. Like I have no idea how long I've been doing this, but I've been doing all these things to try to, you know accommodate my hearing loss and to acclimate to my different environments and try to communicate and hear the best I could. So I thought that was really interesting. I think that's kind of what started to kind of get me starting to think about audiology too at that point. Um, and then I was in my hearing science course and I thought that was really cool. And so this was uh, your twenties, your early twenties, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like so you think the, um, that, that hearing loss had been there for a while you know, 10 years, maybe coming on through early teenage years, preteen. I'm not sure. Maybe yeah. I'm, I'm just not sure. I had a lot of ear infections growing up, so I'm sure I had some temporary hearing losses. Um, maybe some of my hearing loss in my left ear, it's my hearing loss in my left ear is mixed. So I have eustachian tube dysfunction. So I know some of the hearing loss is probably longstanding, probably maybe from when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And then, I have um, that sensory neural component too. And my right ear is all sensory neural. Hmm. Um, so I don't really know. It's all total speculation. But when I was at Boys Town, when I wanted to figure out if there was any sort of genetic cause for my hearing loss. And so I saw one of the ear, nose, and throat doctors there. And they ran an otoscope, which is a, at the time was a, um, a large genetic screening for different types of hearing, like genetic hearing loss okay. and everything on that. But I do have an autoimmune disease. So they kind of just said, well, you probably have an autoimmune mm -hmm. hearing loss. Um, but it was literally my hearing loss. Like if you looked at my, my serial autogram, uh, serial audiograms from like year to year and like looked from like, you know, 2010 to 2011 and then looked at 2011 to 2012, you'd be like, Oh, it's just test retest. My hearing loss would literally just go down about five decibels every year oh, yeah but it's right yeah but then like seven years or so yeah like, you're talking about a 30 40 <laughs> db drop yeah exactly so i was starting to panic in my 20s i'm like good lord by the time i'm 40 i'm gonna need a cochlear implant um and i was terrified of that like i was like like what am i going to do because hey i could tell you they're not that bad yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm less nervous about it now being in the field yeah. but uh no, I know. Anyhow, so luckily, several years ago, it seems to have stabilized, and I'm not sure okay. why. But um, for the most part, in the last few years, my hearing loss has been pretty stable. Okay. So, um, but yeah, now I mean, like the technology has improved so much that, and since I'm, you know, postlingual, and if I did sure. have a hear get a, a hearing loss, I would get a CI pretty quickly. So I'm sure I'd probably be. Um, a very good candidate for that. So it doesn't scare me as much other than the fact that I really don't want to have a surgery, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. True. I mean, before I was implanted, you know, I, all she heard was at least all I heard was, ah, you don't need people to drill into your head. You don't need that. You know, you're doing fine with the hearing aids. And like you said, 
my left ear actually got much, much worse than my right, but my right was still pretty bad, and I could only use a hearing aid in the right ear. I hit them both, but, you know, got nothing on that left side. Um, I thought I was doing so much better than I actually was. Again, in compensating, you know, just fatigue in general, listening, making sure people emailed you that information at work as well as tried to tell you over the phone <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I was a manager and they'd say ah, you, you know what okay uh-huh you know just nod kind of like when you mm-hmm. you know when you're at the cashier uh-huh yeah right uh-huh uh-huh you didn't hear what i said did you oh uh, no um yeah hey would you just put that in email for me all right thanks i appreciate that you know <laughs> yeah. things like that so i guess lastly i'd like to ask um, oh, and I'm sorry, Megan, and don't worry. This is of course going to be edited. I uh, lost my train of thought there. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, okay. The last thing I'd like to ask, is there anything, wait a minute here. How do I put this? What would you recommend someone who does have a hearing loss or suspects maybe family members, friends have a hearing loss, what would you recommend they do say um, to help that person or to help themselves? Um, what do you think should be, you know, said to them? I think that Anything should be said in a positive, like anything that's, that should be said should be said in a positive and reinforcing light. Um, nothing like you can't hear or like, I just, I feel like the reason, part of the reason why hearing loss is such a negative connotation and hearing is such a negative connotation is because people get told that they get told like, you're not hearing me. You're not listening. Um, they're being accused of something like people are being accused of things. And I feel like we should talk about the good parts of like hearing aids, like what, what it can do to help people. Not like this is, I don't know. Um, God, I can't think of the word. Like, I don't want to say it's like a, a death sentence. Like you're going in there and like, dun, 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 you're getting hearing aids and you have hearing loss. And I feel like a lot of people kind of have this feeling like that, especially because, hearing loss is so much associated with age. And so as we get older, a lot of people tend to lose their hearing when, I mean, there are a lot of people who are born with hearing loss or develop it, you know, in their earlier years, like you and I did. Um, And it's not necessarily related to age, but a lot of people see it that way. And anyway, so that the hearing loss isn't a death sentence. It's, or it's not this negative thing. It's, it's actually something that will bring you, closer to the people around you because I I know like my grandmother when she started losing her hearing she became extremely isolated and paranoid um she thought everyone was talking about her behind her back oh no because she couldn't hear what was going on yeah she became more antagonistic um and just kind of more unhappy because she was she was isolated um I had a patient back at Boys Town, and I remember when she first came to see me, she had pretty much just given up, like just given up on life. Like she came in, she was just 
mad and upset and just there was nothing like she was just so unhappy and it broke my heart and we got her fitted with hearing aids and she came back in and she got her hair she had gotten her hair dyed and she was telling me all about her getting her oh, hair dyed great. talking about like she wanted to get um we had books at boys town that we that we'd give to kids and she wanted to pick out some books for her grandkids to give them but it's like it gave her a whole new life and it gave her access to the people she cared about, which she had lost because she couldn't understand what was going on. And I feel like that's what we need to focus on is that you're having difficulty connecting with people around you. Let me right. find, let's, let's look at this and see if we can help you connect more with the people you love and the people that you want to, to communicate with. And I think, I think that's how we need to focus on it. Because no one wants to be badgered into doing something that's no not it's not super pleasant to sit through a hearing test. Right. Yeah. But no one wants to be badgered into doing it or made to feel guilty or bad about having to go get it done. So I think looking at it more positively and like this is what it can add to your life. This is what it can how it can benefit you doing this versus it's right. really frustrating because you don't understand what I'm saying, kind of a deal, if that makes sense. Well, and what you can do instead of what you can't do. Exactly. Yes. Hopefully that um, people listening to these podcasts will go in more excited about it because the technology is really, really cool. Like right. what hearing aids can do pretty awesome. And what if a hearing aids not going to be beneficial, like what cochlear implants, how far they've come is so cool. Right. I remember uh, I had a kiddo and I was telling him all about the cool features and the streaming. This is back when they used to have to wear a a streamer, it wasn't like the direct to iPhone connection yet. Yeah. Yeah. And with him, and he was like, Oh, I want hearing aids. That's so cool. So, That's awesome. like, we had like um, cordless uh, earbuds before they became fashionable. Right. Yeah. There hearing. you go. That's, yeah, that's something. That's true. I was always a bit of a techie. So, you know, having something new, having, something on my ears that of course could help me hear better, but also could connect to then back in the late nineties, early two thousands, you still had remote microphones and things like that. Thankfully, I was always in a position to be able to pay for them. You know, it was important to mm -hmm. me to hear better and all those sorts of things. And I, I did do well and, or I see did well, but you know, I was late deafened of course. And as, um, but it, gosh, it was just such, it was always, it's like walking on the car lot, you know, it's like looking for a car. And as soon as you walk out there, it's like, Hey, how you doing? Can I help you? You know, no, I'm just right? I'm, I'm looking. Okay. I know. Yeah. So luckily I bought my own hearing aids and programmed them myself. So I never had to deal with that. Well, that was me with cochlear implants. I did not do the surgery myself. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good. That's that. really good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this, um, that's that's always been good because I uh, I started working with a researcher at uh, Ohio State. He had come up from Utah, and he actually was with Cochlear for a little while, and then he went to Gallaudet and Gallaudet. I'm sorry, and then now he's out of the field. But um, he worked with Chris Turner in Iowa. Do you know that name? Okay, he it sounds really familiar, but I'm just not yeah, placing no. a face with. Him. That's okay. But um, he worked with Cochlear Software. So even before I started my AUD program, I was working as a research assistant with him. First, I was a subject. And then he was like, you know, would you like to 
help me inside on the weekends and after hours and stuff. And I started working with the software and I'm like, oh, just made me even more certain about, you know, going the route of audiology. So. Dr. Megan Thomas, an educational audiologist who's been able to use her experience with hearing loss to help others. It's a wonderful thing. And if you like what we're doing here, hit subscribe and leave us a rating. We appreciate you. And remember, continue living life aloud. Edited by me, music by Lauren Zettler. Until next time.